just hand over to Anna and hopefully have a really good hour session this morning. Cheers, Thank Anna. Thank you very much. Um, I was thinking this morning about, you know, our previous sessions face to face and what I'm going to be missing this morning, which is some of you hugs and kisses. Um, certainly um, the lovely little chats that I have with everyone when I see you face to face, where you're telling me about what's going on in your organisation at the moment perhaps sharing some of your war stories about what you've been having to deal with or something that's troubling you at the moment um, and what's going on for you. Um, I am really going to miss that today. So, um, you know, the, the offer is there. If anybody does ever fancy just picking up the phone and having a social chat, um, you are more than welcome to do that. I'm not one of those lawyers who, you know, the clock goes on um, the second you ring me. So, um, you know, people like Tony, I'm missing having my little chat with you this morning. Um, so virtual hugs to everybody. Um, what I thought I would do today is talk you through, first of all, to sort of get us going, some of the themes of what's been coming across my desk recently, as I usually do when we're face-to-face -face anyway, and weave into that some of the questions that I've been sent in advance um, and, and give answers to those questions. And I'm sure as we're having that discussion, that will prompt people to think of their own questions and that's the opportunity to chuck the question into the chat function. Um, if what you're asking me is something that I'm going to be picking up in a couple of minutes time, I might not answer your question straight away. I might leave it until I know I'm going to be speaking about that topic. Um, but please do ask your questions because that's what um, today is about. So, um, I was just going to start off by updating you about the employment tribunal system very briefly. Um, firstly, we're very lucky that our very own Judge Barry Clark here in Wales is now in charge of the entire English and Welsh system. So that's great because we meet with him on a regular basis. He's very approachable and he's very good at working with us to improve the system. So that's a brilliant development. Um, as you might imagine, the system is slowing down considerably. Um, prior to COVID, um, the system was uh, suffering an increase or backlog, uh, if you like, of 1% a week. With each passing week it was getting that little bit slower and then with the sort of spike of claims that's going to arise out of um, winding down the coronavirus job retention scheme etc um, that backlog is likely to get um, longer and I am starting to really see the impact of that on um, how long it's taking for things to deal with so to give you some examples this week um, I've had some dates out of the Bristol Tribunal for the logistics hearing that you have at the very beginning of a case. Um, and these are cases that were sort of listed in, or sort of issued rather, in May. Um, we're not having that until January of 2021. So that's a massive difference. 
um, to previous practice. Cardiff is still listing those perhaps two or three months down the line. So the same hearing would perhaps take place in October, November time here in Wales. That just gives you an idea of we're in it for the long haul with cases. Um, that does have potentially cost implications because it's a bit of a vacuum. The longer something takes, the more opportunity for everybody to be emailing each other back and forward and having discussions and things in that vacuum. Um, the tribunals have done a brilliant job during lockdown of keeping going despite the challenges. So sterling job being done there. Um, there has been a shift to doing things remotely. So you might find yourself being asked about that and your ability to participate in that way. Um, that again is going to have an impact on um, the costs. For example, whereas in the past we used to have one bundle that was shared by all the witnesses, um, that can't happen because of uh, COVID risks. So the, num the sheer number of photocopies, for example, is going to go through the roof as a result of the changes. So um, just be aware of, of that. Um, moving on, please, James, to the next slide. Um, one of the big themes that isn't going to come as a surprise to any of you is the impact on mental health. Um, I was on a, a webinar where a psychologist was talking. It was something that the Law Society had organised for Mental Health Week. And they were talking about the fact that they estimated that 20% of people adjusted really well to going into lockdown. Typically people who are quite resilient anyway, people who are good with change, um, people who put new routines in place very, very quickly. But that does mean that 80% of people have struggled. And I don't think we've really acknowledged that sufficiently and um, sort of told people in a way, it's okay to feel challenged by this and to, you know, you've been struggling to homeschool your children and deal with everything that's going on uh, working perhaps in a completely different way to how you've ever worked before and um, we've compressed a lot of change into a very very small period and people are going to have been affected by that so the big message from the um, session that I was attending was kind of be kind to yourself and I think you know I want to say that to you in the HR community because I know you've had to work very, very hard um, to get to grips with furlough very, very quickly. You've had to deal with the goalposts being moved um, by the government every two minutes, or that's what it feels like. Um, just, you know, cut yourself some slack sometimes. Don't beat yourself up about, about stuff too much. Um, some of the questions that I've had in advance I think have illustrated that um, this is manifesting itself um, in certain ways. We're certainly seeing more alcohol-related problems as people have drunk more in lockdown and there are more people perhaps acknowledging that they've got a problem. Um, we're seeing people suffering from anxiety who perhaps haven't been on our radar in the past as people suffering from anxiety. Um, 
certainly being asked to return to work, get the kids back to school is prompting people to suffer with anxiety uh, and worry about things that perhaps they would never have before. Um, if there are existing problems, this may well be making them worse. Um, we may be starting to see that knock-on effect on performance um, or indeed the way that somebody um, behaves and certainly one of the questions that I've received today um, I won't name um, who it's come from is around um, somebody who has a mental health condition who has started displaying less appropriate behavior um, that could be considered to be bullying um, so being aggressive um, behaving in ways that perhaps contravene um, the values that the organization sets out as important to them and the question really was to what extent do we have to cut that person some slack um, because of the risk of perhaps legal challenge later down the line or do we take the view we've got to address this as we would any um, bad behaviour and my answer to that question is um, yes we need to if if we take action in normal circumstances about somebody's behaviour um, if, if we didn't have any concerns about a health issue let's not avoid addressing that problem just because there is a health issue there um, you have to bear in mind that if somebody does have a potential disability, they are potentially protected by the Equality Act, but that doesn't mean we give them a blank cheque to behave however they want. Um, you need to bear in mind that when we are tackling the issue in terms of disciplinary perhaps, um, if the health issue gets raised as the reason why I've been behaving this way, then we might have to take some medical advice at that point to understand to what extent does the condition that this person have cause them to behave in a particular way. Sometimes, being cynical now, the person might be using the health condition is a bit of an excuse for the behaviour. Um, sometimes there is a genuine link between the two, but I think we need to understand to what extent that's there, and we can't really do that without the benefit of medical advice. So sometimes it's about pausing the disciplinary process or the normal management process if we're doing something informal about it at the point um, that the medical background is raised to get that understanding before we then decide what we do about it. Um, it is possible that where that link is established, we then, because of our duty to make reasonable adjustments when it comes to the penalty that's applied or the management action that we're going to take, that we do have an adjustment then to what we're doing compared to somebody who doesn't have the disability but we're not just going kid gloves don't touch this person um it's too risky because there's a, there's a health issue um we need to address 
problem behavior. So I hope that answers the question for the person that, that asked um, about that. And um, by all means, you know, if there are further follow-up questions, then please, please ask them. Um, clearly we're coming out of um, furlough. Now moving on to the next slide. Um, and that's creating pinch points for employers. Um, we've had lots of people who um, maybe volunteered to be furloughed um, in the first place, perhaps because they needed to be looking after their kids. Um, there may be health issues, uh, there may be shielding issues, um, and we need to look at, at these themes that, that are on this slide. So I'm going to break that down a little bit um, over the next couple of slides. So firstly, there is a risk of sex discrimination. Um, some people, um, the actual act of being put on furlough in the first place could be discriminatory. Um, so I have come across some employers that have just sort of said, you know, this person's causing too many issues around uh, their childcare, we're just going to furlough that person. Um, and that may not have been the most sort of fair or reasonable action in the first place, certainly seeing some of that. Um, there's the potential for somebody who the role could be done from home and certainly we've proven that a lot of things we thought had to be done in the office can be done remotely. Um, you're proving that this morning. Um, that leads us to a position where potentially the requirement to return to an office could be indirectly sex discriminatory, um, where people who are having to care for the elderly or, or for children um, might find that more of a challenge particularly I'm thinking going forward with issues around schools and as people are being sent home. So I've already been on the phone this morning with an employer in Rotherham and Taff where a child has gone into school with sniffs, um, maybe COVID um, is being tested. They've sent the whole bubble home um, they are saying in their letter to the um, parents, this doesn't mean you've got to isolate, but we're advising you that your children should, at least until we know what the position is with this particular child. Of course, that has the knock-on effect for the employer. And I hope you are advising your clients, if you're a consultant or the organisations that you're working in, um, to develop what your policies are going to be around this um, because we are going to see people potentially needing a lot more flexibility around caring for their children as this is potentially going to be happening. Um, so this issue is, is there in the background. Um, I've also seen some horror stories in the press around um, women, um, being specifically sort of encouraged by their employers to um, behave perhaps in a different way to men um, when it comes to participating in things like Zoom calls. I don't know if you saw some of the surveys of um, how many managers had asked women to dress differently um, for the benefit of their clients. 
um, etc. Um, you know, there are the potential for those issues to emerge. I've also um, this week come across an example of um, a manager now looking at redundancies, uh, part-time members of the team, and the manager is now arguing that the part-time roles should be the ones that disappear as part of redundancies. And when challenged, not really having any evidence to back up their assertion that the role can't be done on a part-time basis. Uh, my argument would be, you've had this person doing the role on a part-time basis for the last however long, um, what's changed? Um, so, you know, the need to perhaps push managers when they're making assertions that perhaps the part-time role should go, um, why? Um, let's justify that and let's not just be picking on our part-timers. So just be careful of those um, sorts of issues. The other theme that's come out furlough in relation to disability, and this is the next slide please, James, is around our disabled workers. And I'm sure um, you've all clocked the fact that in a way, um, the enforced working from home has been a real positive for disabled employees you know in the past where managers have resisted requests to be more flexible and make reasonable adjustments and allow people to work from home um, in a way um, the uh, the proof is uh, is there now that managers resistance is perhaps um, unreasonable and that potentially does open up the workforce uh, or work, you know, the capability for more disabled people to participate in the workforce. So that has been a positive coming out of um, the lockdown. Um, certainly in terms of uh, funding being there from access to work, the government um, scheme which employers can tap into if the objections are around kit and financing of making adjustments the access to work funds were specifically increased in may to provide more budget for employers around people who are now working from home perhaps needing certain equipment etc so be aware that that is there and if, if an employer hasn't explored that then potentially they would get into trouble um, for that um, we are seeing perhaps differential treatment kicking in around bringing people back out of furlough. So I am seeing examples of everyone's being returned to work except for certain employees. Um, and those employees might be those with health conditions. Now that might be reasonable, where we've risk assessed that bringing that person back until perhaps we've put in certain measures um, you know is a safer thing to do but I am also seeing cases where managers are perhaps using the situation to weed out their disabled workers and that potentially is going to be discriminatory and problematic um, and you know an employer would have to justify doing that to a tribunal so just be aware 
of that on the radar and again be perhaps challenging employers uh, managers rather on that um, in terms of our shielding people just to sort of clarify where we are with that um, it's only been very recently that um, there's been any suggestion that people should be returning to work and even now the guidance here in Wales is where it's possible to work from home these people should be um, working from home still so worth bearing that in mind um, of course there are you know disability risks age related risks as themes running through um, decisions around anyone who is potentially shielding that an employer needs to be um, aware of um, in terms of our vulnerable cohort um, of people um, one of the surprises that I found going into lockdown, I think the government probably assumed that 70 was a point at which there weren't many people in the workforce. And perhaps, you know, we might have all assumed that as well. I've been staggered by the number of queries I've had about people who were over the age of 70 who were still in the workforce. And, um, you know, um, obvious age discrimination potential for those cohorts um, to bring claims if they feel they're not being treated fairly. Um, we've got specific groups being identified as vulnerable in terms of the guidance. Um, pregnant employees, I think it's brought to the fore that there is health and safety legislation that's been around for donkey's years protecting pregnant workers that requires the employer to risk assess the workplace make adjustments and if they're not able to make it safe for that person to be in work for them to be paid full pay for the entirety of their um, pregnancy now Typically in the past, that's only affected people who work in a very narrow um, kind of work. I'm thinking of, you know, people who fly on airlines and work with, you know, particular chemicals and things. For other employers, it's been more about risk assessments that maybe we stop somebody lifting and carrying during their pregnancy or we adjust their duty slightly. But there is a massive burden on employers now in terms of COVID safety to look at what they do to protect those workers. And I think there will be cases that come out of that issue. Um, we're seeing the same with our BAME um, cohort of workers where the evidence is suggesting that those people are more vulnerable. And I'd encourage you if you haven't put specific roles in your risk assessment, um, about those workers or anyone on this slide really um, to show what specific measures you're taking in respect of these pool of workers that you should you should be doing that um, in terms of selection for redundancy um, certainly had questions around this issue with furlough um, it was on my list of things to talk about and then I think Leanne raised it 
Um, there are employers who are choosing to make redundant the people who were furloughed. And sometimes there might be a logic behind that, but I think it's a dangerous thing for that employer to be doing. Potentially there may well be a redundancy situation in the sense that we don't need as many workers now to, to do whatever as we did before. But of course, it's not just about having that fair reason for dismissal, the substantive reason. We've got to show we followed a fair process as well. And this is where I think employers could get themselves into trouble as well as the potential discrimination arguments that we've just been talking about. So if the person who is furloughed does the same thing as lots of other people who might have already got back in work or who may have actually worked through lockdown, it's not going to be fair to just select for redundancy your furloughed employee. Normal rules are going to apply. You should be putting everybody who does the same thing into a pool, assessing them. And that assessment is going to need to have some um, adjustment to make a level playing field because of furlough as well. So I'll give you an example. I've just done a redundancy exercise in this lists firm and they've had three members of staff in a pool. Two of those members of staff have been furloughed, one for a lot longer, one for a sort of middling amount of time and one has worked throughout. It's not fair when we look at the performance of those individuals for us to choose a time scale that involves the furlough period. We've had to mark those people for the, the matrix and the redundancy selection exercise based on their performance prior to the lockdown period so that we are comparing apples with apples and being fair to those individuals. So it's a bit like saying we'll ignore any time you spent on maternity leave or we'll ignore any time you spent off sick as a disabled person. We need to adjust our redundancy scores so that we are being fair to those people. Now there will be some roles where the job just does not exist anymore. Um, so an example I've been dealing with recently is an, an employer where they've got a canteen. Um, the canteen isn't able to open because of um, their risk assessments around COVID. And the cook um, has been furloughed up until now. And there is a sort of standalone redundancy, if you like, in relation to that, that role. That may well be fair. But I think in other cases, we need to be challenging employers about, well, who else should be in this pool, not just let's go for the person who's been furloughed. I hope that, that makes sense. Another big theme, uh, next slide please, James, is around health and safety. And um, we've touched on the concerns of people perhaps coming back to work, being anxious. Um, you know, is my employer safe? What risk assessments have they done? I've been surprised how many employers I've spoken to where I've said, well, what involvement have you had with the staff? Um, what discussions have you had with them about it? Have you 
giving them copies of your risk assessment, etc. I've been surprised how many employers haven't been communicating with their staff. Um, and sometimes it's that communication that is the, the crux of the problem. And by involving people, um, you can deal with some of the issues that emerge. So, for example, I was speaking to an employer the other day where a cohort of people were worried about going back to work and the employer was planning to get everybody back at the same time and my suggestion to them was that perhaps um, a better way of, of dealing with things would be to have a sort of advanced party where um, a small group of employees would come back and be very involved in um, crash testing if you like the employer's um, plans and systems that they put in place for the return so you know this is all the work we've done as the employer you tell us what you think of it you know what are the things we've missed um, where are the pinch points going to be the things that we haven't identified and actually involve the staff in that and um, by doing that if you can get that first group happy with what's going on of course they they speak to everybody else and you know when we're asking wider pool of people to come back it's going to be a lot easier so that that was my suggestion in that particular case um i'm sure you've read um if if not my blogs then lots of other coverage about the risks of health and safety claims coming out of what employers are doing um, if somebody is dismissed in circumstances where they have been flagging up uh, a health and safety issue. So if they are saying, I don't feel safe, um, I don't think the right measures have been taken to enable me to return to work safely, then any employer that perhaps tried to work through that and couldn't would risk um, an automatically unfair dismissal claim. So um, employers are going to need to take extra steps to work with their staff and to try and get people to the point where if a judge was looking at it, they would be saying, you know, this employer's done everything they can to try and deal with the situation and actually employee, you're being unreasonable now. Um, so that is requiring some softly, softly, gently, gently um, working with people. Um, and you would want to have all the emails, all the meeting minutes, um, everything that you've been doing so that you could show a judge to convince a judge that actually, you know, you've tried everything here um, compared to perhaps um, an employee being seen as unreasonable. Um, so it is taking some work and I'm sure some of you are dealing with those sorts of issues. Um, Section 44 of the Employment Rights Act is interesting because it relates to any detriment that the employee says is because of the raising um, concerns. And I love it when I'm acting for employees and using um, detriments, so either for Section 44 or under the whistleblowing legislation, because it's kind of my opportunity to be as creative as I possibly can. I can go to town um, in terms of arguing what is a detriment. So um, the definition of a detriment is, is basically anything negative that is a consequence of 
um, the thing that the person says they've done. So I've whistleblown and as a result, I've suffered this negative treatment or I have raised the health and safety concern. And as a result, I've received the negative treatment. So I'll give you some examples from a letter that I was writing recently. Um, the employee concerned has argued that because she raised um, some inadequacies as to how the employer was dealing with COVID, she was excluded from meetings going forward. So some ostracism going on there, um, that she was subject to inappropriate um, shouting from her manager, hostility or aggression, um, that this person was actually put in um, an exposed position as regards her position with her staff that she was managing that it caused her to suffer fear and anxiety. I think that's gonna be a big detriment that people rely on. Um, that the employer has failed to do a proper risk assessment. Um, as a result of a case that happened in the Court of Appeal earlier in the year called Duty that you might have read about that was in the post office, um, it's actually possible as a result of that case to now argue that even an employer offering the employee an alternative settlement agreement package is a detriment. Um, so you have to be careful um, when you enter into protected conversations with people because they could rely on that in itself as a detriment. Um, so again, for an employer to sort of defeat a claim, I think you're going to have to be able to convince the judge that all the steps you've taken have been really reasonable in the circumstances and that you know you've done everything you possibly can um, and that the employee is being unreasonable in what they are saying and doing so um, probably more work than we're used to used to doing so just be aware um, that one um, when it comes to redundancy exercises, I'm definitely um, seeing a lot more redundancies perhaps than we would normally. Um, certainly seeing big redundancy numbers. And of course, we're into collective consultation where we're seeing big numbers over 20. Um, undoubtedly, one of the themes that's coming through there is around the practical difficulties of how do we consult with people um, when they're not in work. So I would be delighted if anyone wants to share um, any creative ideas that they've come up with um, that have been successful in this regard. Um, my advice to people is, well, you can only do what you can here. Um, I was talking to somebody earlier in the week where They've got elected representatives, so they're into collective consultation. Normally, of course, those elected representatives would have their training into what their role is and what they should be doing as part of the collective consultation. And then they would be working alongside their colleagues on the shop floor, in the offices, and naturally able to speak to those people that they're representing. That's able to happen in that employer to a small extent because they've got some of the workforce in, but they've also got a lot of people who are still working from home. 
and that natural opportunity for those representatives to engage and liaise with and get feedback from and understand the views and the queries that are coming from the people that they're representing is really challenged. So one of the things that they were going to do, um, I think today actually, as part of meeting with the representatives for the first time, was to brainstorm with them, given this challenge, how are you going to be communicating with the people in your group? And that's going to depend group by group by group. Um, in some departments, everybody might be Facebook friends with each other or on WhatsApp or, you know, have each other's phone numbers and, and are able to engage in that level of communication. But in other teams, that's not necessarily going to be the case. So we might have to go out to the staff and say, do you mind if we share your phone number with your representatives so that they can speak with you, etc." So um, we are going to have to get creative. We are going to have to think about using different technology. And I think it's going to take longer than we would normally um, experience just because of that practical challenge. And we need to be building that um time scale in so um be aware of that one uh, there's a certain lack of questions coming in guys so you know start asking them um in terms of statutory sick pay um i'm sure like me you're trying to keep up with what actually is the law on <laughs> statutory sick pay now because the goalposts keep moving every two minutes um on the 6th of July, the um, regulations were updated so that if somebody is in a bubble with someone who is confirmed as COVID um, positive, or they've been told by Track and Trace that they've been um, in work or in a social situation with somebody who has been identified as COVID positive and told to isolate as a result of that, then they will um, be entitled to SSP. But for example, the employer that I was speaking to this morning, that those employees from RCT have had a letter that says, this doesn't mean you have to isolate. Those employees are not gonna be entitled to SSP at the moment. Um, I think it probably, given the challenges that we might have now with local area lockdowns, with, um, schools etc um it may well be worth publishing to staff if you haven't done this already what are our rules what are the different scenarios frequently asked questions um try and make your life easier and get that information out so you're not receiving hundreds and hundreds of the same questions from people um so pat sent me a question should they be, be paid their normal sick pay if entitlement allows? Well, we've got a couple of things going on here. So SSP, we've got, are they covered? Uh, and that will dictate whether or not they're entitled to, to SSP for obvious reasons. The company sick pay above and beyond that, typically our contracts are saying, if you are sick, then we will pay you X. So if somebody is isolating because they've been told to, or they're in quarantine because they've been on holiday like Emma, um, 
then they're not sick. So they're not entitled to company sick pay. So I think organisations can be saying to people, we, you know, if you're entitled to SSP, then we will pay it, but you're not automatically going to get company sick pay. So I think one of the things we've got to be really careful of is we're in this now potentially for quite a long haul. We don't want to be paying every man and his dog full pay in you know myriad of circumstances and end up with a situation where a people can abuse it and b it's going to cost an awful lot of money so just be careful again around that one so starting point ssp check the rules are they covered by ssp they may well not be so if you are staying at home because your child has been sent home from rct and that school where the whole bubble has been sent home you're not sick you're not entitled to anything you're going to be on nil pay and people need to understand that that is going to be the situation of course employers could decide to be more generous but i'm sort of saying think about your generosity and the long-term implications before you decide to do that um now phil is asking a very pertinent question about what does an employer do if an employee turns up to work because they don't want to lose their pay. And that is something that certainly employers have been experiencing throughout the crisis. I mean, one of the reasons why they think there's been a particular spike in the BAME community is because people are employed in lower paid jobs where if they are sick, they don't get paid well because it may be SSP only and you know nothing for the first three days etc so there is some evidence that that encouraged people to come into work um, and bring their COVID with them and, and infect people and potentially get sick etc so um, one of the conversations I was having with an employer this morning was around um, they will send people for a test and it was interesting because yesterday i heard that people turning up at the cardiff leckwith um test center for tests were actually being sent to swansea for a test but then i spoke to somebody who explained to me that their daughter had come home from london and they live near Aberdeer. So they went to the test centre that's been set up there on spec to see if they could get a test because she wasn't feeling terribly well and they thought they ought to. And they were directed, they weren't allowed to just turn up, so they were directed to the um, website. And they actually ended up speaking to the call centre because they were being sent to Gulf Wells, which is obviously a bit of a trip. And they were reluctant to do that when they'd visited Aberdeer and they knew there was hardly anybody there. So they, they told them we're not busy. When they spoke to the call centre, the lady at the call centre explained that there is a glitch in the computer system. Basically, when somebody's logging on online and trying to book a test, they can only see some of the test centres. So that's why they're sending people what might seem randomly to test centres that might be a long way from where they are. 
some of the test centres, so the Abercannon one was one that wasn't coming up on their screen, they can't see. So they can't send anyone there. You couldn't, can't make it up, can you? Um, what she shared was that at 8 p.m. at night, the system clears itself. So by logging on at 8.30 at night, they were able to get the local um, test centre. So hopefully that might give you some sort of inside information that you find useful for people when they're being sent for tests. Um, and they were reporting that having um, done the test uh, at 9.30 in the morning and sent it off, they did get a result that day very late on in the evening. So it is being turned around quickly. Um, going back to the point I was making, um, what that employer is saying to their staff is if they have got concerns, um, they have perhaps been sent home or their children have been sent home and they think they need to have a test, go and get the test done really, really quickly. Um, if you can prove to us that you've bothered to do the test. So give us the printout of the test booking off the internet. Um, irrespective of what that test comes back with, we'll pay you for that day. Um, obviously, if the test comes back positive then and you're poorly, then we know we're into SSP or our sick pay system. Um, if it comes back and it's negative, then you put you back into work and you're being paid anyway. Um, so that might give you some ideas as to how to, to deal with that. Um, Sean is saying, um, hang on, let me go a second. Yeah, I, think, I think we've got a few questions just on yeah. the back, Anna. Okay. I'll go back to the top. Um, so Pat's saying, can't we insist that people are wearing a mask, get their temperature checked at regular intervals? Yeah, I mean, as part of your um, systems in place for COVID safety and work, yes, you can be asking people to wear a mask um, and to have temperature checks if you're, you know, if you bought the equipment to, to do that. Um, so yeah, it doesn't affect, doesn't affect that. Um, yeah, somebody else is saying, a friend needed her son tested this morning. She was offered a test 200 miles away. She contacted Rodney Parade Direct and got an appointment this morning in Newport. So there is obviously a big glitch with the centralised system. And I think it's worth giving staff that intel that, um, you know, don't be fobbed off with the you need to drive to Timbuktu kind of answer. Um, Kath, for those who are previously shielding and are due to return to work, um, if we can't allow them to come back because of concerns about safety in the workplace, what are our options when the furlough scheme ends? Um, well, employers are being put in a, a very difficult position at that point because the government advice is get those people back into work with adjustments to their roles. Um, it may be people moving away from frontline activities into something slightly adjusted. Um, but if you can't offer that, then you're in a position where you're asking people um, to decide 
how much they want to risk their health ultimately um and that situation is what it is and obviously um i understand your your particular position um people will have to make that decision are they going to come back to work um or not and that is one of the very nasty implications of the situation that we're in sean is pointing out that acas is suggesting employees are entitled to ssp even if they don't have symptoms hmm, not sure that's strictly accurate um i mean that's just so open to abuse that i don't think that's right um separate disciplinary question from amy member of staff dismissed for gross misconduct but the manager wants to still pay their notice pay and of course if the employee has committed gross misconduct then um strictly speaking the contract is is broken by dint of how serious that thing they have done and they wouldn't be entitled to notice pay um concern there i think from amy that if we do what the manager wants to do what kind of precedents are we setting for the future for other cases um is it going to undermine our case that the situation is that serious that they've broken the contract um and i think that those are really reasonable questions to be asking yourself you know why why this particular employee why this circumstance what is it about the case that is making the manager want to treat it differently to ordinary gross misconduct um there will be cases where things are very finely balanced um you know the borderline between final written warning and dismissal sometimes is it gross misconduct is it not again very very finely balanced and and it, it might be seen as a sort of halfway house but i think you do have to think about those things if you know I kind of agree with Amy's um, premise of her question. You know, if it's gross misconduct, that's summary dismissal. Why would we? Why would we be paying the notice? I perhaps if you decide to be more generous, then that's maybe where you would want a settlement agreement um, because you can have the confidentiality um, that goes along with that. And make somebody an offer and be saying you know you shouldn't be speaking to other people about it so that might be a halfway house in terms of dealing with it um right so we've got a discussion going on around now about ssp again and if somebody is living with somebody with symptoms yes if somebody is living with somebody that has symptoms and have been told either because they've had a test that they're positive or they've spoken to nhs um one and they've been told we think you're covid you must isolate um then by dint of living with that person then yes that person does then fall into the ssp which that change was made fairly early doors into into the the system and um, so there are circumstances where somebody isn't ill themselves where they are able to get ssp um, but it's still quite narrowly defined so for example the person who's 
um, child has just been sent home from school because they've been in a bubble with somebody that they think might then um, until the test has come back they're not gonna fall into SSP so it's bloody complicated is is the truth of this isn't it um, you are gonna have to in every case sort of create yourself a little mental flow chart and think well is it this or is it that and make sure you are dealing with each scenario um correctly um so i hope 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 that um that helps um my final slide was just around i mean amy's proved, proven it with her disciplinary question all the normal stuff has not gone away is it um and um i'm gonna answer a question i know um phil's raised in, in a moment you know we still need to be managing absence levels. We still need to be managing conduct where there are conduct issues. Performance management seems to be the one that managers are absolutely allergic to dealing with um, at the best of times. Um, with people being challenged perhaps by having to work from home and in different ways, I think that is probably getting even worse. Um, you know, I. I've been having conversations with my husband recently about um, a situation in, in where he's working where they're just not addressing somebody who has clearly not been doing their job for a very long time to the point that I think my husband was actually brought in because the person wasn't doing their job um, but you know it's 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 kind of getting worse and nobody is addressing this situation I think um, the temptation for managers is perhaps to to ignore things and hope it's going to go away and you know that's kind of human nature um, stick your head in the sand and hopefully it will disappear um, but we are going to need to keep doing those things. So um, Phil's question related to a long-term absence management issue. Um, and it's interesting because his employee's um, GP has issued a fit note um, suggesting that the um, individual would um, find their return to work easier if there was a change in um, management reporting lines. Now, call me cynical, but the GP is going to write what the employee wants them to, are they not? Um, and at that point that the GP is making that kind of suggestion, um, it's very easy, I think, for the employee to be saying to the employer, you must do this now because my GP has suggested you should do it. But of course, the GP knows absolutely nothing about your organisation, the size of the team, the context, how easy that is for you or any of those things. So I think what we've got to remember is that is just a suggestion from the GP. It is advice. Um, obviously, it is sensible for you to look at that and consider it and decide whether it's relevant or something you can do or not but ultimately is for you to make the decision on that so you are free to um ignore it if you like um in phil's particular case i understand that the team that he's talking about is absolutely tiny and um you know this is not a workable suggestion um i think 
probably underlying the situation that, that Phil's been talking about is a bit of a breakdown in relationships between um, the individual and their line manager um, and that actually maybe something like offering mediation might be appropriate. I'm not suggesting that mediation is going to solve everything, but I think sometimes the fact that you've offered it as an employer can only make you look good in the sort of wider picture if the person then you know minded to complain about how they've been treated raise a grievance etc if you've been trying to restore good working relations and saying well why don't we all get together and talk about it and that might be sort of informal mediation the sort of thing that you know you guys do all the time as well as the more sort of formal getting an external facilitator in um you know that might well be something that makes you look good and um, could perhaps address the issue um, but ultimately you don't have to do what that GP has, has said so I hope, I hope that's um, answered that question I got a thumbs up from Phil that's good um, so that brings me to the end of sort of what I had planned to to talk about um, quite happy to take any further questions from people and if there is anybody who's got something they really don't want to talk about publicly um, you can always say that it's got to remain private when you when you're typing it out um, but also you know the invitation is there if you if you want to drop me a line or um, pick up the phone um, I've got five minutes for any of you if you if you want to do that um, but uh, Oh, a couple of people saying thank you. Is there anyone else who's got any questions? Anybody want to ask anything where, where they go unmuted and we actually hear their voice? No, no takers. Um, it would be really useful, I'm sure, for um, James. He's coming up as Duncan on, on the yeah. today. I'm not actually Duncan. He's, he's, he's posing as Duncan. You better look his identity. Duncan, but don't, don't tell him I said that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he would welcome your feedback on today, whether the format worked for you, whether um, you found it useful. Yeah, definitely. Um, whether you want us to do another similar one to this we'd normally get another session in before christmas um so more than happy to to do that if if you would find it useful and like i said um really at the um at the beginning i am i am missing those little chats that we we have so please do you know don't be a stranger um pick up the phone drop me a line if you need to um like i say i don't start the clock every time I speak to somebody. Um, lots of you are saying thank you very much, you have enjoyed it, that it is useful, that's great. Um, that probably means we will do another one. Yep. So yeah, yeah I, can, I can share the slides as well and this should hopefully be recording as well. So if anybody wants to watch it back or just listen to the audio, I can share all the links and all the bits and pieces at the end. Brilliant, good stuff. And um, stay safe. Stay sane <laughs> in terms of dealing with all the issues that I know you're dealing with. Um, you know, like I said at the beginning, I think 
times are tough and it's easy to beat ourselves up that we're not you know being the most brilliant HR people in the world and just remember we're all we're all juggling the same stuff it is challenging um we haven't all got the answers all of the time and you know be kind to yourself as a result I think but take care everybody and I've really enjoyed today enjoyed yeah, thank seeing, you, Anna. seeing everybody's yeah. faces online um and uh, we'll do it again yeah thank you for everyone for logging in Brilliant. see you all again soon lovely thank you bye thank bye. you take care bye